Well, good morning. I'm David, lead pastor here at Current. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be up on the board behind you. We're looking at Ephesians 3 as we kick off this new series. Just finished up going through the book of, of Proverbs this summer, and uh, I'm excited to, to kick things off with you today as we, as we look at our new series. But we're going to be looking at Ephesians 3, verses 7 through 13. Let me, let me read them, and then we'll pray. I became a servant of this gospel, the Apostle Paul wrote, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach, the, the, uh, to, preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this day where we can gather and just uh, sing praises to you, meditate on your goodness as music is played, and, and now uh, consider your word and your teachings as we, as we look at the Bible now. Father, would you fill us each with your spirit that we would uh, have an encounter with you this morning? Would you touch each of our hearts and our minds, and would you help us to leave a little bit different today because of your working there? Father, I, I pray for your spirit uh, to rest on me right now. Would you help me to get out of the way, and would you help me to lift Jesus up through your word? I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, I'm excited to start this new vision series we're calling Imperfect Together, How God Uses Imperfect People to Extend His Perfect Love. And I can think of no better passage, no better text to start on than the one that we just read, because it's saying here, if you look at verse 10, it's His, that is God's intent, that now the manifold wisdom of God should be made known through the church. It's like, what? Did we hear that right? God's manifold wisdom, his perfect being, power, just all that is amazing about him is to be made known through the church. Uh, you don't have to be a pastor or a pastor's kid like myself, having grown up and seen all the inner workings of the church or the outer workings of the church. You don't have to have grown up and had an experience maybe with the church where it wasn't the best of experiences for you. To hear that and think of it maybe as almost laughable, and yet it is anything but. What we're going to see, not only today, but as we get into the series, is that it is God's plan to make known His manifold wisdom, His perfect love, His beautiful love, uh, to make it known through us. So how does that happen, and what does that look like? Uh, we're going to be jumping in today more at the high-level, introductory level, and then more as we move forward and we consider uh, Imperfect Together, this series, and today we consider the Imperfect Church. So let's jump in. Uh, the Apostle Paul was writing to the early church in Ephesus, and he said these words. Let me read them again, just the first few verses. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through his working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach. Uh, G, uh, Paul, the one writing this letter, was a jacked up dude. <laughs> I mean, he was far from perfect himself. And this is true of his early life. 
In fact, if, if, if you have ever read through the book of Acts or if you want to look at that later, we actually can trace a lot of Paul's story. Earlier on in his life, he actually went by the name Saul. That, that changed over the course of, of the years. But he had a really uh, interesting uh, start. And what we see in, in, in Acts, uh, Acts uh, 7 and 8 is we're actually introduced to Paul condoning, giving his approval to the stoning of the early church leader Stephen. Now, what's especially interesting about that is Stephen was a great guy. I mean, we're talking, this was a guy who was elected into the early church to care for the poor, to care for the widows. Just a gentle, kind dude, but the crowds just couldn't stand him, and just like, they just, they just got worked up, they were stoning him, and there was Paul, then known as Saul, giving his approval to saying, yeah, you go ahead and do that. And actually, Paul's main goal at the time was just to go around the Mediterranean world and stomp out as best he could, root out this growing movement of Jesus' followers, these people proclaiming the name of Jesus. That was Paul. But God had different plans for Paul. If you read in Acts 8, you see the famous encounter where, where Paul is, is, is caught up on the Damascus road. But first, he's actually described verse 1 of Acts 9, and I'm sorry, this will, will not be on, your, on the screen. But in, in, in verse 9 of chapter, uh, uh, ch- chapter 9, verse 1, Paul is described as this, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Um, but we see Jesus blinds him on the road to Damascus with a flashing light and says this, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And later on, Jesus would say this about Paul. He would be his chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, that is, the non-Jews, and their kings, and to the people of Israel. And as we look at this text in Ephesians that we're we're studying today, uh, that, in part, is what Paul is referencing, that he didn't have his act together. He was a jacked-up dude, far from being perfect himself. And yet, he would also say that's true of him in that moment as he was writing this letter. Even as the quote-unquote great apostle Paul, he was far from perfect. And he would want his Ephesian writers, indeed every church that he ever wrote to, to understand this. Uh, You know, as I mentioned, that this thought that Paul was known for having a rough past, uh, everybody in the church there reading this letter for the first time would have been like, okay, I understand that about Paul. But to say what I just said, and that, that is that Paul was still imperfect and still just this this jacked up dude, at that, these guys would have probably balked a little bit, these early Christians in that church. The reason for that is because since that encounter with Jesus, Paul's life had completely transformed. I mean, he had become a guy who had previously been breathing murderous threats to somebody who would, in fact, also just lay down his life for people. In fact, if you look at verse 13 uh, in our text, you'll see a little hint in that direction. He said, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged of my sufferings. By the time Paul was writing this letter, he was actually in jail in Rome where he would actually ultimately be executed for talking about Jesus, for sharing the faith, for giving his life for others. And yet he was saying of himself that he is of the least of the Lord's people. Um, I think that's so helpful to kind of understand that Paul is showing uh, for himself as, as, as uh, for us as well as we think about this in terms of what it means for us, that he was far from being perfect. Even as the great apostle, he just saw himself as just no, no, in desperate need of God's help. Uh, There's probably no better place that describes this thought, this thinking in Paul than when he writes to the Romans. Uh, In Romans chapter 7, he basically describes his own walk with God as he's he's just a wretched sinner, he calls himself. And the things that he knows he should be doing that God's called him to do, he doesn't really do those things all that well. And then the things that he knows he ought not to be doing, that God calls him not to do, 
even as the great apostle Paul, he he does those things. Uh, And so Paul, what we see here then as we look at this book uh, of Ephesians and him saying, this is the grace given to me, what he's doing is he's marveling at the grace of God in his life. He's marveling at the manifold wisdom of God in his life, that God would accept and choose to use me. Um, I think this is important because I regularly, I regularly talk with folks, uh, ever since the beginning of, of Starting Current, who have said something to the effect of, oh, I can't go to church because I feel like the walls would fall down on me. Um, actually, a couple of weeks ago, I had a gal say that to me. Uh, she's visiting from out of state. Uh, but she said, after the service, she said, boy, that was, that was really a uh, great service. I'm glad I came, but I, I, I still am not sure why the walls didn't fall in on me and, and, with, and with me, everybody else. Um, but that's the grace and manifold wisdom of God, that she, that gal who was saying the wall should fall down on me, that Paul, that you and I, that every one of us do not deserve God's grace. Uh, we are all, each and every one of us, jacked up, uh, imperfect. We are all selfish. We are all proud. We are all impatient. We are all unkind, judgmental, self-righteous. The list goes on and on. We are all sinful, is how the Bible would write it. Uh, Missing the mark of how God has made us to be. And yet, He loves us. He loves you deeply and personally and just wants nothing more than you to run into His arms. To think about this from another perspective, just have a little bit of fun with it. You know, that gal who said the walls should have fallen down on me, should the walls have fallen down on her? In a way, the gospel actually says, yeah, they should have. As they should have fallen down on Paul, or you and me today as we sit here. Um, But the gospel, the manifold wisdom of God, is that God the Father had the walls, so to speak, fall down on Christ in our behalf. Uh, Look at verse 11. This is what it's saying here when it says, all of this, this manifold wisdom of God being displayed by the church is according to his eternal purpose, God's eternal purpose, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's God's wisdom, his manifold wisdom that he is is proclaiming and wanting to be on display. And that, friends, church family, is what we are ultimately about. As we, as we remind ourselves through this vision series, what are we about? We're going to be looking at different things, our values, and just kind of ways the Scripture says, hey, as a church, this is what we just feel like as a church we're about. But first and foremost, what are we about? If you could say it in one word, those of you who grew up in the church, it's the Sunday school answer. We're about Jesus. Current is about Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. In fact, if there's anything I want any of you to know about us, even if you're visiting, is we want to be about Jesus, his, who he is and what he came to do. Uh, and the good news that if we put our faith in him, he will receive us. He will accept us, not based on anything we have done, but based entirely on what he has done for us. In fact, if you've never received this, you can receive this today. Uh, put your faith in him and receive the good news of Jesus, which we see worded here in Ephesians 3, verse 12. In him and through faith in him, you may approach God with freedom and confidence. You can put your faith in him today and receive who he is in your life. And I'll give you an opportunity to do that as we take communion in a few moments. But Paul was marveling at God's grace given to him. Okay, marveling not only in the, in, in the sense that God accepted him, though he didn't deserve it, but that God chose to use him even though he didn't deserve it. So what do we see then? What, what, what are we saying as we look at this text? It seems to me God makes his perfect love known 
through imperfect people, not by overlooking their imperfections, but actually through their imperfections. Uh, it's this manifold wisdom of God that he uses the church to display imperfect as we are, because that's the point. I remember um, uh, a story from the very first days of current that, that'll never leave my heart. Uh, a buddy of mine, actually was a neighbor of, of mine at the time, uh, came and started, joining our, started to join our uh, launch team gatherings as we were just meeting in just a real small group, and he's just wanting to be a part of uh, this church building process. I wasn't a believer at the time, at least in the, in the very beginning. And actually, the first time we met, when he, after about five minutes of, of conversation, he found out that I was a pastor, and I could have sworn in that moment he literally took a step backwards. Like, he's like, you know, you're a pastor? All right, I'm not sure I want to keep this conversation, let alone relationship, going. Uh, I don't know if it was because, uh, you know, our wives became really good friends or we had kids that were the same age or just the fact that we were neighbors and he couldn't escape me. Uh, we, became, we became good friends. Um, anyways, over the years, we just developed this, this fun friendship, which is a great guy. And uh, he started to ask me a lot of these questions that he had just been pondering over the years, specifically about Christianity. Like, just these questions, he's just like, man, I, okay, now we're friends. Like, I can ask this guy, this pastor, you know, these questions. And so he just asked me, we'd have these, these conversations. Well, one day we went out to breakfast and I could tell that something was agitating him a little bit because he's just kind of sitting there and just kind of moving around in his, in his booth seat a, a little bit differently. Um, his countenance was just, was just different. Well, sure enough, when the waitress took our order and then, and then left, he pulled out a newspaper, put it onto the, 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 the restaurant table there, and just started pounding it with his finger. And he said, David, Christians don't get it. And I sat there in that moment, and I really felt what he was feeling. I just, I could tell, you know, he was, he was worked up by it, and he just, there's a lot more than what he was just asking about, but there was just, it was just one of those moments where it's like, yeah. So I took a breath in, and I said, you know what, Chris? I said, I can't speak into all of, you know, what this newspaper article is about. I don't know all the details. I don't know the people and the parties involved, this and that. But I can say that if what you're saying is Christians don't have their act together, you're actually right. Christians, we don't, I don't, even, I don't have my act together. We don't have our act together, and that's the point. That's why Jesus came. And the best part of that story is two hours later, my friend actually put his faith in Jesus. Go figure that. I talk about the manifold wisdom of God on display. We finished up our food, and we, we, we had coffee uh, at, a, at a nearby shop after that. And the conversation went something like this. He had thought I, I don't know if, if, if in that moment it was because he thought I was going to get defensive or he was expecting some other response or if just something kind of clicked. I think it was the latter. Because what he said is he said, man, I always thought that Christianity was all about just being a good person, going to church, saying your prayers. And I said, you know, in, in a very real part, that God cares about those things. Those are important things. But actually, in, in, in a sense, it's, it's not about that at all, really at the heart of it. And it was that first time where he started to realize the manifold wisdom of God so most on display in Jesus, in Jesus and who he is and what he's come to do, because that's the gospel. The gospel is we are all imperfect, starting with Christians. We're all broken, and the gospel is in Christ we can be made whole in him. Notice I did not say in Christ we become super people. Or we become holier-than-thou people. Or we become people who can now judge others. 
or we become people who have their act all together. No. The gospel is we have been given grace through and through that none of us deserve. And it's only because of grace and only through grace that his love, God's love, can be made known. I love this verse, verse 12. It says, in him, that is Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. There's so much we could unpack, but we're just, we'll just do a little bit here uh, from the, these verses. What Paul is saying is, church family, we have the opportunity to come before the living and holy God, the perfect God, the all-powerful, all-knowing. He even knows the depths of your hearts, your minds better than you or I understand ourselves. And he loves us. He cares for us. So we can come with him, come to him with confidence. Now, is that because we have this resume that we can present to him? Hey, look, God, of all these things I've done. No, we have nothing. If anything, the resume pushes us in the opposite direction. But if we're using that illustration, actually, the resume we bring is Jesus. We get to say, God, I come to you in confidence, not because I've done anything that I deserve to be in your presence, either in prayer or just just a meditation, I come because you say I can in the name of Jesus and what he has done for me. So we can come in confidence, but we can also come with the freedom, freedom of guilt. We can say, because, again, it's not anything that we've done, but because of what he has done for us. So in other words, we can come to him with great humility, and we respond to him and the gospel, uh, with the gospel and with others in humility. In, in practical terms, what does this mean? Uh, Christian friends, we ought to be the first it seems to me, to own our mistakes. Uh, Christians ought to be the first to admit when they are wrong, when they, when we don't have it all together because it's all about grace. And the Christians should be the last to say, oh, look what I've done. And by the way, how come you haven't done that? Christians should be the last to say that because it's all about grace. It's the manifold wisdom of God to make this known through the church through our imperfections. So what does this look like? A couple of really high-level thoughts, um, because today, again, is just the goal is just to introduce the series. Um, What does it look like for us as a church to display this manifold wisdom of God? Well, first and foremost, it seems to me, it it means our task as a church is to lift up Jesus. John 12, verse 32, Jesus said of himself, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. It's my humble opinion that people don't need church. People need a church lifting up Jesus. Uh, We don't just need to be a church. We need to be a church that lifts up Jesus. Um, Because, and this goes back all the way to my days in Berkeley as a student there, and then also having lived here for a number of years in the Silicon Valley, areas that aren't known for being terribly receptive towards Christianity, it's been my humble observation that people actually love Jesus. They're open to him, but they're closed to Christianity. They're closed to the church. There are a lot of voices out there saying things like, Christians are bigots. You know what? That's okay. Not that Christians, you know, should be bigots, and if, when that's the case, that's okay. I'm not saying that, okay? And I'm not saying that it's just okay for us to go out there and call people bigots, okay? But you understand what I'm saying, right? It's okay that it's being said, because at the end of the day, it's not about us, It's about Jesus. It's about lifting him up. Um, That's our test. You know, I love John the Baptist as an example of this. John the Baptist, who's instantly described by Jesus as the greatest person who ever walked this earth, ever born of a woman, is how Jesus said it. You know what his mantra was, John the Baptist? 
he would say of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Uh, I think that's our goal. That's our object, to get out of the way, to point people to Jesus. Um, Which, incidentally, that's what Jesus did for us. You know, if you want to be all cynical about it and be like, man, Jesus was saying the greatest person of all, of everybody who ever lived was somebody who said, I must increase, and that guy, he himself must decrease. The gospel is Jesus actually infinitely more than John or any of us ever could made himself decrease, that we might all increase in him. That is our task, to lift up the one who, to increase the one who decreased himself for us and gave us life in his name. How do we display this manifold wisdom of God? It seems to me that as a church, we must constantly fight to be outward focused, one of our values here at Current. We'll consider that more. One of the messages will be dedicated to this thought. But not to be inwardly focused, to be, be constantly fighting to be outward focused. Why? Because we are a people that have been loved by Jesus Christ and have been touched by Him, which means it's now our task not primarily to have our own needs met. God wants to meet your needs, my needs. But our primary, primary task then becomes seeking to let others find Jesus and have their needs met in Him. Paul says it here, by the way, in our, in our text, verse 7. He says, I became a servant to this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach. By the way, that word preach is not the formal discourse that I'm doing right now. Uh, there's a word in the Greek that means that kind of preaching, but the word that Paul chose to use is actually a word that basically is the word for gospel which literally means good news, good news, you and Galen. He's saying just bringing good news. Somebody who's just on display, word and deed, bringing the good news. That's our task. That's what we are meant to do, just to show people uh, Jesus and to constantly have that in the forefront, to be thinking about others before ourselves. Displaying the manifold wisdom of God must mean, it seems, it seems to me, to be a community that is authentic. Again, this is one of our values. I'm just shamelessly using our values to kind of help us see and consider what it is we're talking about. Uh, We want to be authentic, to own it as best we can when we mess up, to not feel the need to project ourselves that we have it all together. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12 says it best, in my opinion, when when Paul writing to that church says, it's actually in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. Um, Any of you depressed by the state of affairs out internationally or nationally when you read the news or you open up your social media? Any of you? Maybe it's just me. Okay, I see a couple nods. It's depressing to read a lot of the news. There's just all this conflict going on by any number of parties going back and forth, and so much of the dialogue is, you're wrong, and no, you're wrong, and it's just, you know, and then, hey, you messed up. You did this. You better own it, and like, no, you, and it's just, there's no end in sight for a lot of these conflicts. Um, you know, that's just not out there, by the way. It happens in our home. It can happen in our marriages. It can happen in, with, with roommates. It can happen in our co- co-working space. Well, it's just, no, you, you know, you, no, you. Friends, you know what the most powerful way to break that lock, that impasse that just seems so impossible? It's the gospel. It's to say, you know what, when someone calls out the other, you know what, you haven't been the best in this situation. It's to say, you know what, you're actually right. You're right. I shouldn't be raising my voice the way I have been. I shouldn't be saying things as harshly as I have been. I should really be listening to you more than I have been. You're right, and I want to stop and just, first of all, own that and say I'm sorry. Can we have more of a dialogue? 
That's how we begin to see some steps forward. That's the gospel. It says, hey, it's not about me, it's about him, and we can start by owning where we're wrong. Uh, it seems to me that displaying the wisdom of, of God in this sense, it means trying to be generous. We talked about this last week. I encourage you, if you weren't here, you can listen to that online. But an idea there, kind of a high-level thought, is seeing everything that we have, resources and the like, but also our time, our energy, as things to be stewarded recognizing that who we are and what we have are all wonderful opportunities to care for others, to love others, to serve others in our community. Uh, there are so many other ways we could talk about this, we could highlight it, and of course, that's what the Vision Series is about, so I hope, hope you'll come back. But the point here is, it is God's choice to use the church, the imperfect church, you and me. Uh, that's his primary way of making himself known to the world, and also, by the way, to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms. Did you notice that? In verse 10, that's an interesting thought. Uh, that's in a way of saying that we're all on display for his glory. We're all making him known to others uh, so that they might know him and receive him, put their faith in him, even when they don't deserve it. Um, if you are here and you had a bad experience growing up in the church, or just maybe just more recently, uh, you had a bad experience, hey, we get that. And actually, in, in a very real way, we started current very much with you in mind. But don't come here thinking that current is now the church that finally you found is, you know, the perfect church. You know, please, please don't, because it won't take a few, but a few weeks for you to find out that that's just not true of us as much as we want to love you and care for you. But come here, well, this is not a pitch for current, this is more pitch for God's church. Okay, let me put it this way. It seems to us that the perfect church, put that in quotation marks, okay? If I, be, if, I, if I can dare to say it this way, the perfect church is actually the church that recognizes it's not perfect and lives from that. Um, and so we want to just say, you know what, we don't have it figured out even as we're trying by God's grace with his power, with his help to be the people he calls us to be and to, and to help each other do that. Uh, uh, that's the point here. It's through the church that God's manifold wisdom is made known. Uh, Christianity is not a go-it-alone religion. Uh, it's, 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 it's a faith that says, it screams, we need each other. And the best ways, indeed the only ways to accomplish a lot of, that we, of which we have been talking about today, can only happen in community as we follow Jesus together, living in his grace and making it known to those around us. This is our task, current family. Uh, to, manifold, uh, to, to manifest the manifold wisdom of God here in the Silicon Valley and beyond, to point people to Jesus, starting with ourselves, but to point people to Christ, because that's worth doing. In fact, I can think of nothing more satisfying than devoting ourselves to moving the kingdom of God forward in this way, and we get to do it together. What was God thinking? Using imperfect people, using an imperfect church, but that's just it. It's precisely through imperfect people that God makes his perfect love known. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your perfect love. Thank you for the love of Jesus that covers us, that even though we don't deserve it, even if we were the Apostle Paul in a Roman cell waiting to be essentially executed for having lived a life of love and service to you and others. Even if we were him, Lord, we still just fall so short of the people you've called us to be. 
where we confess that we're selfish, that we're impatient, that we are self-righteous, that we are hypocritical, that we are all these things. But we praise you that though you see those things in us far better than we do ourselves or even those who can point fingers, you love us. You care for us and you offer your grace and forgiveness uh, that we might receive and become uh, your children and live from that, but also that we might extend that to others, this manifold wisdom of God, this grace in Jesus Christ, that because of what you did on the cross, Jesus, we can, we can offer life in your name, eternal life with you. So Lord, help us as a church be about this. Will we never lose focus on this. And Lord, I pray that you'd use this vision series to help remind us of this and the things you've called us to in this place and at this time. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.